Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artist. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we're going to talk about the ever confusing pricing of art. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to it be. It doesn't have to be. Valerie uh, said the pricing struggles are real. Yes, Valerie, I agree, especially when I first got started. Not so much anymore, and that's really what I want to share with you guys, just my mindset when it comes to pricing, because this was something that I, um, man, I would agonize over pricing my art so much more than I needed to, and yeah. it feels good to not be in a place where I agonize over pricing my art. I would say I agonize a very small percentage of the time now compared to what it used to be, which was all the time. You used to agonize a lot, a lot more? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, every once in a while I see you pull out your calculations and I'm like, dude. Well, I mean, I use my formula for everything. And honestly, the only time I get stuck now is when my formula spits out a number that's higher than I'm comfortable with. Well, that's part of the journey. And that's something that we're going to talk about here. So when it comes to... Pricing my art, I, I want to go into just a little bit of a story. When I first got started, um, we started at the at the flea market, right? We couldn't get into any of the galleries or anything because a lot of the galleries were like, we don't know who you are. Who are, who are you? you? Get out of here. And we decided that uh, we were going to take our fate in our own hands. And the only thing really that was available to us was the Gulf Breeze flea market. So we were like, all right, that's that's what we're going to do. And Clea had already set up a table with her jewelry and stuff, and she was doing well. And one day she inspired me to start showing my art, which at the time I was terrified to do. It was me plus an act of nature that yes. inspired. Yes, a big giant storm like washed out the area where she was in. I didn't want to lose that area because we had a cool parking spot, so... I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do my art. And that's where the facing of the fears started with my art career. And one of the first things was pricing my art. Like, what the hell am I supposed to price these things that I'm creating? And the thing about it is that I didn't start, you know, like a lot of people are like, get started, you know, make sure that you have a body of work. I didn't have any of that stuff. I basically didn't have any materials. I had like old paint that we had taken on the road with us that was just in the car for like two years and didn't have any canvas, found some pieces of wood that I was able to work on. And one of the vendors at the flea market had a bunch of poster board and was like, here, could you use this? And I was like, yes. So a lot of my original, like very beginning of the Rafi career are works of art that are on poster board and old pieces of wood that I found in various places, usually at the flea market, we would go scavenging. Yeah, I mean, that was the cool thing about the flea market is it was like a resource and an outlet. Yeah, exactly. Tara said, I literally ran away from someone requesting a commission because of that, because of pricing. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I first got started, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be. And I made, I, I think after a, a few months, I made a little bit of money and I went to the store and bought um, some canvas. I think there were 16 by 20 canvases because they had them on sale or whatever. So I bought the canvases and then definitely the fear of like, what do I sell this for? You know, because I was selling like my little poster board pieces for like 10 bucks Mm -hmm. or something like that. 
So here I have a 16 by 20 piece of canvas and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to sell it for. Um, you know, 40 bucks sounds fair. And I sold it for 40 bucks. And then I was able to buy more canvas and sold those. And pretty much like as the demand started growing, um, it would get to the point where I was like, fuck, I can't, I can't keep, like, I can't do, I don't want to do this like this. Mm -hmm. And so I would raise my price a little bit. And I believe the first time I raised it, it went from 40 to $50 and then $60. And then eventually after a year it went to $80 and then 120. And now like my 16 by twenties are, I think like $300 or something like that. So little by little over the, no, they're more than that. I, I forget what my pricing is. Um, they little by little over the years, they just went up in price as I couldn't keep up with the demand on the art, which is a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. But I guess my thing is like, I just got started where I was because for about two weeks I was agonizing over pricing. And eventually I got to a place where like, I realized, you know what? It doesn't really it doesn't matter as long as I'm covering my material cost and I'm making some kind of profit on the work. Like that's really where I'm at. And I'm just getting started, especially in the beginning. I'm just getting started. Nobody knows who I am. I don't have a reputation and I'm not saying that you need to start pricing your stuff low. You could price your stuff at whatever you want. What I'm saying is it took me a while to get to that place where I realized like it's my art. I get to price at whatever hell price I want. Yeah, definitely. Tish says, I usually don't have a problem pricing myself. It's more when I see other artists underpricing themselves that gets my ire up. Yeah, yeah. Yes and no. Yes, because yes, you don't want to see anyone lowballing themselves. No, because what's fair and good for an artist is so subjective and relative. Yeah. Um, and but... And that's the, I'm sorry, that's the thing, like, you'll, you're going to have, because I have had people come into my booth and tell me that my art's too expensive, and I've had people come in that same day and tell me that it, that I'm not pricing my art enough. As have I. And I think, Tish, where we're definitely in agreement is, like, when an artist themselves feels that they're lowballing, like, they're not recouping their material costs, or they're not paying themselves a fair hourly wage. I um, used to gallery sit with this lady who made beautiful jewelry, and um, everyone would tell her that her prices were too oh, low. Oh, she would spend hours, hours. on these things. And so I started asking her questions just based on how I do pricing, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but we figured out, like we did my little formula. We applied my formula to her jewelry, and we realized that she was paying herself an hourly wage of 86 cents, which w is not that's, not, that's not in any realm. Like, yeah fair and workable so she was definitely lowballing herself um and you know we had several sit downs about it because it's uncomfortable raising prices even when you know you need to tish says question do you think there is a regional pricing difference i understand rural area would be slightly different than city but so east coast versus midwest um tish <clears throat> honestly I think your prices are your prices, mm -hmm. no matter where you're at, you know, because we could say regional difference, but like if you're in a gallery, that's the difference. If you're in a gallery on the West Coast or in New York or in Florida, you have to account for the gallery rate, whatever that percentage is, right? So if it's 50%, 
you're going to be making 50%. So you want your pricing to be fair to you. And of course, those prices are going to be higher. And mm -hmm. in my experience, when you have something in a gallery, you're going to want to sell it at the same kind of pricing. So you're not under undervaluing or, or... You're not undercutting the undercutting gallery. the gallery. We both decided a long time ago when we first established relationships with galleries that our prices were our prices. It didn't matter where the piece was, what festival we were doing, where it was being shown, whether it was online or in person. It was the same across the board. And once you get into expanding into the e-commerce realm, right, where you're doing global commerce... Um, so it's the same whether someone is in Germany purchasing it or California or Ohio or whatever. And also, like, as you start to expand, you know, we have pieces in Florida at a gallery. I make pieces for a shop in Texas. We're based in Pennsylvania now. We, we ship stuff everywhere. And I think trying to adjust for regional or rural or urban, that's, like it's too much work. It's just a pain in the ass. And really it's not even, it's not even worth it because it's, it's all perception anyway. And just because people are in California versus the Midwest or versus the South, you're still dealing with individuals that have different, you know, pricing is relative to each and every single one. So if you're getting pulled in all these different directions because you're like, well, this is where it's going to and this is where it's going to be. And it's like, just ignore all that stuff. Have your prices be what they are. Mm -hmm. The way that the way, you know, because one show in the same area versus another show might bring out different clientele with different, you know, perceptions on price. And the way that we compensate for that is we just have stuff that's priced across the board. I have very expensive art and I have not so expensive art and I have smaller pieces, you know, my prints on wood and different things like that. And maybe postcards and magnets, different things that, you know, if somebody walks into your booth or somebody walks into your gallery space and they want to support you, but they can't afford one of those big pieces, you know, you want to have pricing that's across the board so that you're not excluding anyone. Mm -hmm. You want people, there are people out there that want the big expensive piece. You want to have that out there. There are people out there that could only maybe afford some of the small pieces. Make sure that you have that out there. And that's that's our best way of not alienating anyone regardless of where we are. And I've heard people say that they're afraid to have um, lower priced items in their booth because they don't want to give the impression to the... Um, clientele that can afford expensive work that that's all they have and it's been my experience that's absolute that bullshit. that never happens that's absolute fucking bullshit um it, it hasn't happened at least in my experience yeah. um people that can afford more expensive work uh they're gonna you know they're gonna gravitate towards what's calling to them regardless of what your range of work costs lsj art studio said pricing can be tough it can be the thing about pricing is that pricing your art is can be directly attached to your own insecurities. That's the reality of it. For sure. The thing that makes pricing art is difficult is when you overly get concerned of what the value structure is for someone else out there, right? Am I pricing this too high? That's a question that somebody will ask. Or am I pricing this too low? If you're thinking about other people, then the answer is always yes. And no, right? Because everyone's, in, are you pricing it too high? Yes, for some people. No, for other people. Are you pricing it too low? No, for other, for some people. Yes, for other people. 
like you cannot determine your pricing based on what you think other people can afford. And that's where pricing gets really, really tough. My method of pricing has always been just be fair to yourself. Make sure that your materials are covered, that you're making a profit, that you're paying yourself for the work that you're putting into it. And be fair to the person that's purchasing it. You know, if you've only started, if you started uh, recently and you're just out there for a little while and you're being fair to yourself, like, yes, I'm going to price, price this at a price where I'm being fair to myself and I'm being fair to the person that's purchasing this, um, that's, that's where I feel good about pricing. And to be honest with you, I always even price my stuff a little bit lower um, you know, like in my brain, I'm like, well, this piece is definitely worth $700 and I might price it at like $695 and I price it at $695 because that way when somebody comes in and they're like, how much is this piece? My mannerism and my body language isn't like... Cringy. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to charge 800 bucks for this because I know that emotionally I'm not there yet, right? So... I'm going to push myself a little outside of my comfort zone. So 695 maybe for that piece, if that's just slightly outside of my comfort zone, that's fine because part of my brain thinks I'm giving them a deal because it's $700. So it's, it's a lot of that emotional mind type stuff that I really pay attention to. Mm -hmm. I just make sure that I'm being fair to myself and fair to the person that's purchasing it. Tara said, I don't know how to navigate telling them a price and do I ask for a down payment? Intimidating. Always ask for a down payment. Um, there are a couple of things that I have found helpful in getting used to doing this because that's a big one, right? So you're asked to do a commission. It's something that you've not done before. So how the heck can you estimate your time commitment, your materials? The thing one is that the more work you put out there and the more commissions you take on, the better you will get at this simply as a mechanism of doing it. Because the more you do something, the more quickly you're going to be able to average out how much time you spend doing this type of work and what materials are involved. Yeah. Um, it's just going to get easier for years and years and years when I would take on commissions and they would ask me for a ballpark estimate. My answer was like, I don't know, like blurting it out just out of my mouth. I don't know, but if you'll give me 24 hours, I'll get you an estimate because then I could go home and look at my materials and try to figure out how much time I was getting myself into and then let them know, Yeah, get back to them. Um, I have had to blurt out estimates and it usually doesn't work in my favor. <laughs> you just, you <laughs> want to figure out a formula for estimates and you always, always want to estimate a little bit higher than what it is. That's a lesson that's been learned the hard way. Another thing which I'll get into more, I think in a little bit is that me, because I have materials that change prices daily because I'm working with metals and stones, I keep a master list of all the main things that I use to create. And so when I have to give someone an estimate, I don't mind busting out my little master list and get telling them, give me 10 minutes, let me look at the main components that I'm going to need to order, and I can give you a pretty accurate estimate that way. Um, and I think a piece like this is going to take me X amount of hours. And I've never had anyone get aggravated with me waiting uh, while I look at my little master list. 
and get back to them. Cindy says, in my little town, my $10 pieces would sell, but nothing that was 40 or up. Okay, Cindy, I'm I'm going to lovingly tell you that you are wrong. I'm going to, I want you to think about this. Just think about this. When I first started, I would notice that there were a lot of artists. This is kind of like the rhetoric that artists like to say, this price thing sells, this doesn't sell. And I could tell you from experience that that's bull crap because you're not, you can't just generalize an entire small town and understand what somebody's buying habits are going to be. Sure, the $40 pieces may not sell as often. Your $10 pieces may sell more often, but it doesn't mean that there isn't somebody out there that would buy the $40 piece. And that's that's one of the, the reasons that no matter what, just across the board, I always make sure that I have something for that is maybe a $10 piece to, or $10 pieces and that I have my $1,000 pieces there as well because you never know who's going to walk into your booth. And if you go in there with that preconception, well, I'm not going to bring any of my expensive stuff because that stuff will never sell, then you're never going to sell it and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know... That's one of those things that I always pay attention to because it's easy to generalize something like that, especially when it comes to pricing. And to be honest with you, it's usually attached to some kind of insecurity uh, when that that of like the place making that excuse. I remember being told like when we started at the um, farmer's market in Pensacola that there was no chance I was ever going to sell anything that was over two hundred dollars. Yeah. And I. That's- and most of my stuff was under $200, but I did have some stuff that was over. And yeah, I didn't sell it every weekend, but I did sell it pretty consistently. And I had a jeweler friend whose average piece that he was bringing out was like six, $700. And people thought he was crazy, but he built up a reputation yeah. there and was consistently selling pieces at this farmer's market. Um, so it really is like being willing to put it out there, knowing like, no, you're probably not going to sell it hand over fist every weekend yeah. or every opportunity, but there are people people that will resonate with it and they will not care um if it's they a don't higher... care what the price is yeah. yeah jenny said lower price our uh pieces can also create a future they have ten dollars today but maybe a hundred dollars now exactly Definitely. jenny that's and that's the thing a lot of my collectors were people that when they first walked in they're developing a relationship with you they don't you know they're 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 there. Are they going to invest three hundred dollars on this artist that they just met? Sure, maybe they like the art. Maybe they will. Maybe they they're kind of feeling their way around and giving them the opportunity to buy something that's there. It just it makes you much more approachable than just you know either lowballing yourself or highballing yourself, whichever one. Like you want to have something that's out there for for everyone. Tish was saying um, definitely because she's going to be traveling around. Um, she was hoping to keep her prices consistent and was worried that she was on the wrong track with that. No, you were definitely not yep. on the wrong track. She's going to have $3 stickers up to $800 resin art and hand out my card with info. That's a good plan, That's Tish. great. Connie Con- said, thanks for that brain saver. I changed my prices for each show. No. Gallery versus art. <laughs> no, don't put yourself no, through that. don't do that. Just... Just- just have different prices on different people. Like, just keep it consistent. It's, it's, uh, that's, 
Ugh, that's such a pain in the butt. Zara yeah. said there are people that will only buy expensive to have the special, but not easily attainable feeling. So long as the the lower stuff isn't super similar, I think it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like if it makes you comfortable, like at shows and stuff, to arrange the more expensive pieces in their own little section. That's something that I have and haven't done, depending on the the situation. And for me, it really it just depends on size. You know, the size of the work. Obviously, some of the smaller pieces that are much more detailed, those are going to be up there in price comparatively to smaller pieces that don't have as much detail that I don't spend time on um, or that I don't spend that much time on. I obviously spend time on all the pieces, but it's, you know... When you're thinking of pricing, you got to think of those perceptions, too, when it comes to size. The bigger the piece, the more expensive it's going to be when you're dealing with art. Diane wants to know, um, as an artist, how do you pay yourself? In other words, how much of your price covers your salary, so to speak? This is a great question, and for me, it depends on your pricing structure. In the beginning, the answer is you pay yourself however much you need to to cover your ass because sometimes you're going to have a surplus of money and sometimes you're going to have no money and you need to take whatever you need to take to survive and the remainder of that goes towards more art supplies, right? It's not always this cut and dry thing, especially early on. But now, if you get to a point where it's kind of steady, um, the way that my formula works is my material costs um, get multiplied in order to be able to purchase more materials. And then I have an hourly wage that is essentially my salary. And both of those things come together to formulate my price. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I try to keep it where it's like, okay, so materials are covering materials and, and my time is covering my time. It's still not always cut and dry like that because some months you're going to need to pull a little more to cover your own personal bills. Some months you're going to need to pull a little more to order materials, especially if you're ordering in bulk to try to save on material costs. Sometimes you're going to need to use a huge percentage of your profits to order more materials. So I guess if you want to do an average, uh, you could say, you know, 50-50 right? 50 to materials, 50 to my personal expenses. But it really does come down to how are you pricing the art in the first place? Um, And then working those percentages from there. Yeah. And the most important thing about this, you guys, is that you you can't get it wrong. You do, you price your art, what you price your art. And then if that's not working out, then you figure out, you know, something else where you tweak it. And that's the thing about pricing your art is that it's ever changing, ever evolving. You're ever tweaking it. You you get to a price where you're happy with it. And then maybe a year goes by and you're like, oh, I need to raise my prices. You know, like it just it's constantly changing. It's constantly in flux um, from from moment to moment as you evolve and grow in your career and, and offer different things. Lisa asks, my struggle comes with the difference in shipping from local to distant galleries and where to recoup that. Thoughts? In that situation, um, what I would do is with those particular works of art, if, you know, first off, you want to, if you can, you want to bulk ship the artwork. You want to make sure that you're doing commercial pricing on your shipping so you're not paying that much um, more. But... Even still, with that, you are going to want to add that to the pricing because that is part of your expense, right? So 
if the art is selling at a gallery that's a little bit more distant than this one, then you are going to have to add that difference into that pricing because um, you don't want to. You don't listen. Don't. There's no such thing as free shipping, right? So that's the only place where I would say roll that into the price and make sure that if you are going to send stuff that you're sending more than one item. That way, you can roll that price in into all of those pieces. Agreed. You can't just eat those losses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely try to ship multiple items. That's how we handle it. That's, for the, sure. that's the only situation where I would say have different pricing, but that's only because you have added expense for those pieces. So those pieces should be a little bit more expensive. On hand asks, what do you think of the advice to price high when you don't have a name yet so it gives the feeling of authority or prestige? That's so stupid. <laughs> it just... I I suffered from that in the beginning because I was extremely, extremely insecure. And I remember my first time, my very first time showing my art. I think I had a uh, 16 by 20 and I charged, I, I put a price tag of $100,000 on there because I thought that that's what real art prices were because, you know, of all the advertising that you get in the art world. And honestly, all it did was repel people. And I've seen artwork that people have tried to sell that just started that they're like, well, $10,000 is what people are buying for this. And to be honest with you, it all comes down to where you're at and how you're starting. If you're in a prestigious gallery that already has a clientele, yeah, absolutely. Charge 10000 20000 If that's what their clientele are used to paying but if you're going to charge $10,000 at a farmer's market, that that work of art might be sitting there for a little while because those people don't know who you are. I would say, can you say the price with confidence? There's your barometer, right? Can you look someone in the face and say, this work is $10,000 with confidence, knowing that's a fair price? If yeah. you can... Awesome. And like Rafi said, if your work is selling in a gallery that averages those prices for work, then they're going to say it with confidence and yep. that's going to convey. If you can't, then you have to work yourself up to that. Um, my first gallery that took my work, I had to double my prices because the agreement was 50-50 and also because that was what was going on at that particular gallery. There was no problem. There was cringiness for me getting used to retail versus wholesale pricing, um, but the work was selling because the gallerist would say with confidence, this work is this much. On hand art said, oh man, high price is pretty low for me. I was thinking 1200 for a sculptural piece. Oh dude, if you can say it with confidence knowing that the work is worth that, that's really... that's And that's good. a thing, that's a thing like... And this is what I really, really want to get across here. $1,200, $10,000, $15,000. I mean, I sold sculptures for an installation um, where I built a whole installation and I charged $15,000 for that. I could have easily charged anybody $100,000 for that installation. Um, Klee did uh, an entire room as well and charged $10,000 for hers. Yeah, 12. 12. And 12, 18 000. for you. And eight, oh, and 18. <laughs> I charged 18. So, but but that's the thing. It's like you got to feel comfortable with the price that you're charging. If if you think that that piece is worth $1200 or more and you're charging 1200, then you stand by that with confidence. You know? 
if it feels a little bit cringy and you're like, you know, need to do some work, you might need to get some work to get on yourself to get up to that place. Um, the reason I think the whole like prestige thing like that, I hear a lot of artists talk about that stuff and I'm like, I've never run into that with anybody that collects my art. I've never had somebody walk into my booth and look at an expensive piece and think like, oh, you're prestigious. Like, it just doesn't work that way. That whole perception thing really comes down to the confidence of how it is that you talk to that person when you're talking about pricing. And for a lot of us first getting started out, there's, you got to work on it. You got to get to that place because, you know, I know for me, the first time somebody asked me how much my 16 by 20 was and it was 40 bucks, I cringed. I was like, 40? You know, like, I wasn't <laughs> even comfortable with that. Yeah. So you, you really, really, it comes down to like you and where you're at. Pricing your art is a personal journey and it really has a lot to do with where you're at, what your relationship with money is, what your insecurities are when it comes to your art, whether or not you think art is worth it or not. Like these are all things that you really have to pay attention to. And it's great because this fear of pricing art or this struggle of pricing art really makes you face that when you're putting yourself out there. I know of some artists that will not put themselves out there because they're terrified of pricing their art, right? Because they're not willing to face that insecurity when it comes to pricing your art. So just embrace, embrace the fact that like this shit's scary and like I'm going to, it's going to be, you're going to be growing the more that you do this and the more that you face it and the more you put yourself out there. Dish said tip from a cake decorator, use the word retainer versus the words deposit or down payment as many states will not honor a non-refundable deposit in court and you'll have to give it back. Interesting. Um, and also if you're more comfortable with the word retainer, whatever word you're more comfortable with, asking for a deposit can be, um, a very painful and scary experience for I just, an artist. I just ask for half. I'm like, I won't be able to get started on this until you pay for half of it. That's pretty much how, how it goes. And I've never had anybody balk at that or anything. Cause I'm like, I need to buy materials. I need to get ready for it. I need to set time aside if you want me to focus on this thing, I'm going to need you to pay half up front. And then, you know, when you review the piece, when it's done, then you can pay the rest and I'll ship it out. One of the things that helped me dip a toe in the water of collecting deposits, and honestly, I'm still kind of bad at this and working on it. But instead of saying I'm going to need a deposit, I would say you have the option of paying half or paying in full. And it's up to you what you're comfortable with. Yep. Um, and that way, <laughs> there's no option to pay nothing. Right. There's the option to pay half or pay in full, but it comes out a little easier than I'm going to need a deposit from you. Yeah. Um, Tara said, thanks for that tip, Tish. I'll remember that. And Tara also said that makes so much sense. Clee, thank you. Awesome. Connie said, I'm always told that my prices are too cheap. They now know I want to move my art I don't set up a show to take my pieces back home. I do take a range of prices. Yeah. I mean, Connie. I mean, people might say that it's too cheap. You know, it. I've been told that. He, you've been told I've that. I've been told that. Some people say that it's, you know, not cheap enough. You know, if if you feel comfortable raising, if people are saying like your pieces are too cheap then and you feel comfortable raising your prices, then you do it. That really, again, that's one of those personal journeys where it's like you get to look at that and be like, am I 
should I should I raise my prices? And I get it. Like, um, you know, they now know that I want to move my art and I don't want to set up for a show where I have to take my pieces back home. That's the thing. Pricing your work is part of your personal philosophy. No one can come in and tell you how to do it. And I know that there's a lot of those artist mentors out there that are, you need to price this much per square inch. It needs to be like this. Professional artists do it like this. And I always, I'm always like, no, you know, screw you, dude. Like you took with some of them, one of them was like, you need to price your art. A professional artist prices their work at a dollar a square inch. And I'm like, this guy has been doing this for like 30 years. And he's at a dollar a square inch. I guarantee you that that's not where he started. So that's one of the things. It's like, take take even our advice with a grain of salt. Definitely. It is a personal thing. And let's talk for a moment about how it's not helpful to turn to the internet. <laughs> to think, okay, not. there is one way in which I have found it to be helpful. And also it can be very unhelpful. Uh, so when I started thinking to myself that I might offer my jingle writing services to the world, I went online to find out how much the average jingle writer charges per jingle. And I got a range that went from $50 to $50,000. And I, w I ended up on this website where these people were like, nobody should be writing jingles for under $50,000 because you're undercutting the Writers Guild people and it's shameful and it's putting us out of business. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, I'm not writing jingles for freaking Pepsi Corp, you guys. I'm like going to be writing jingles for content creators. <laughs> I'm not coming in at 50,000 and maybe 50 is a little too low, right, for my time because it's going to take me a while to get to know the person and what they're looking for and yada, yada, yada. That's way too huge a range. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. And the people that are arguing that every jingle should cost $50,000, I'm like, I don't know where you're... And that's the know. thing. Everybody has a motivation because there are some artists out there that get really pissed because they look at an artist who's, you know, selling their, their work for a price that they're comfortable with. And they're like, that artist is lowballing all the other artists. And I'm like, that's not how it works. We're not competing. We're not selling a bottle of shampoo that's exactly the same as the other bottle's shampoo. And you could go down to that booth and buy your shampoo for $5 versus $10. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work. That's not the perception that most people have when they're looking at art. So my solution for this was, okay, my hourly rate is my hourly rate, right? What's my, what's my fair working hourly rate, which I had to really revisit because I hadn't visited that since like 15 years ago when minimum wage was, I would love to say, much different. No, slightly let's, different. Let's not get into let's that. Let's not get into that. I decided on a fair hourly rate for myself, and it's the same whether I'm creating jewelry or making music for a jingle or whatever, what have you. And that way, I don't have to guess about it. I can just try and figure out how many hours it's going to take me and then apply the hourly rate to it and materials if applicable. And that took all the questioning out of it. Now, one thing that I did find helpful, just as a jumping off point, was I Googled, like, what does the average bench jeweler that has 10 years experience earn on average? And that that number was actually pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. I've done it for other things. Like I looked up like what does your average pyrographer make hourly or like what does your average fine art painter make? You know, and you can get 
some kind of like workable, reasonable numbers. If you're not sure what a fair working wage is, you can get some information. Even even still, like <laughs> even with that, like it's a little, you know, you could look at examples, but also realize that those examples might be, you know, a little off. Certainly, it's not like a written in stone yeah. thing. But if you're completely and utterly lost, it's at least a kind of touch point to kind of work from. My When I started, I was like, well, I guess I kind of want to at least make as much as I was making at my last job. Like, and that's literally how that's, I did. I like paid myself. And I, and I think that that's the way that you do it. That's, <laughs> honestly, that's the way you do it. In my mind, I'm like, if you're getting started, you know, pay yourself $10 an hour. Yeah. If, you know, if you're just getting started, if you think you deserve $20 an hour, pay yourself $20 an hour. If you've been doing it for a while and it's time for a raise, give yourself a raise every year. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, but, but again, it's one of those things that it really comes down to you and your, your choice in what, how it is that you want to approach this. Kirkman says early on, I struggled to make money because I quoted down to the penny mm. uh, on mm. materials, adjusted according to the change and didn't understand adding profit. I felt dishonest to add extra. It's not extra. But dude, I get <laughs> it's it. It's not extra because not only do you have the material costs and stuff like that, you have overhead. You have your time. Your time is usually more valued than the money that you're charging. You know, you could be charging 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars an hour. I'm sorry, but an hour of my life is worth more than that. So, I make adjustments. I allow that, yeah, for this piece, you know what? I'm going to charge $20 an hour because I like this person. I like the project that I'm working on. It's going to be fun. For this piece, this is more of a pain in the ass. Um, and my life is more about. So I'm, but I still enjoy it. So I'm going to charge maybe $50 to $60 an hour. And you adjust your pricing in that way. That's, that's the way that I usually do. But you do have to add overhead. And overhead. I have to say this. Like... This is a struggle, and I th I and you've you've touched on something. It can feel horrible to multiply your material costs because I don't know why, but we struggle with this. But how can you purchase more materials if you're selling if if the price is your cost for materials? You can't do it. Some people my my paintings most of my paintings would be like. 14 bucks. Right. If I was just charging material costs. It can feel extra icky when you start to work with more expensive stuff like exotic wood or metals that can get expensive. Like, of course, if I have to buy some gold and I have to double the price of those materials, it feels kind of gross and vomitous. But the fact of the matter is, so some people multiply their materials by two. Some people multiply their materials by three, some by four, some five, six. I've seen it go as high as about six. I have kept that on the low end because I don't know, because I'm, <laughs> I mean, I try to be fair. But that's the thing as, as our own business owners, we get to, that's why yeah. you want to be fair to yourself. You want to be fair to other people. You go to any of those jewelry stores at the mall, oh God, they are like charging six, or eight. six yeah. to 8% a, a tri you know, Keystone, whatever that price, they're charging so much money for cheap crap. But you cannot be doing your materials at cost as your no. retail pricing. You just can't because it doesn't allow you to order more materials. Your hour, like I said, your hourly rate should pay you for your time and your materials times two at least allows you to buy 
enough materials to make two more, right? So that's how you kind of want to look at it. Triple keystone at minimum. Triple keystone. Uh, Valerie said, I have a hard time pricing art prints. I mount them on wood, cradle panels, embellish the sides with the paint and matches the design. I also seal and varnish them. How would I account for the extra work? I mean, you could add hourly. You have right there, you have additional material cost. You have um, how much extra time, right? It's not just you printing something or picking it up from the store. Um, So there's extra work there. With my prints, I charge anywhere between, I think on the different sizes, I charge anywhere between $25 to $50 an hour additional for that. And that goes added to my price. My, I believe that my um, 11 by 15 mounted on wood pieces, I charge about $85. And that's low. That's really low. I, I, I think I only charge $25 an hour. But they take me no time. They take me very little time to create. So you do want to price it. And you also want to adjust that pricing. You know, if you're working on one at a time... You want to make that a little bit more expensive if you're working on several at a time because they're prints. Then you can then, afford. Then you could afford that. You could you could break that pricing down into the stuff hourly. Let's talk about that. You can save yourself some hourly rate by working on several at a time. Um, I try to if I get an order for something that's like a made to order. I try to at least make two of them while I'm sitting there. Sometimes three of them, so I have more on hand and I'm maximizing that time. Ordering to keep your costs down. Bulk. Order in bulk, right? I don't order the amount of chain I need for a necklace. I order 10 feet of chain or I order 100 feet of chain if I, I order, can afford it. When yeah. I, you know, at Blick, you could order in bulk and yeah. I order usually the minimum amount that I order is 20 canvases of a particular size. 20 canvases because that's the highest bulk amount. And sometimes I order 40 depending on if I'm working on a series or something. But I don't piecemeal my ordering. I don't go to the store and buy like one canvas or two canvases or anything like that. I order in bulk because when I break down that pricing and I look at how much I'm paying for materials versus piecemealing it, it is a huge, huge cost saver. And please, for the love of all that is good, do not pay retail prices at hobby shops. For materials, no. When you don't have to, because no. there's places out there like Blick and Jerry's, and for us jewelers, there's Rio Grande and Stuller, and there's places where you can buy in wholesale, and you can trust the quality, and you can get bulk discounts, and it's mwah, a lifesaver. Um, when I started out, I was definitely buying stuff at, at the hobby shops because. I didn't have those connections. I didn't know about those resources. But basically, as soon as I could, I got myself some wholesale accounts with suppliers. Jenny said, I go to many markets, shows, small shops, and galleries. I can't possibly buy all that I love. I'd need to live in a palace and be a zillionaire. But sometimes a small dollar amount is enough to appreciate yeah exactly and that's one of the reasons because i'm the same way like i i love we love art and when we go to places we don't buy big pieces because we don't have room for them but we want to support the artists in whatever way we can Mm -hmm. so it yeah that's that that's that's the mindset a lot of us disconnect from that mindset when we 
when we first start putting our stuff out there because it's all about selling, you know, and you have other artists that come by. It's like, how's your day going? And it's like, what they mean is like, did you sell anything today? You know? And it's like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about connecting with people and offering something across the board. Not because you're like money, I want money, but because (laughs) you are happy to share your art and you want to have something there for everyone. Zara's like, oh, rabbit hole, the internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50K depends on the market you're selling to. Corporate is big money market, certainly. If you're doing corporate web design, corporate jingles, corporate any of that stuff, corporate murals. you're going to be playing in the ballpark of big numbers. I mean, when I did a quote, I didn't get the job, but when I did a quote for Orin for the mural that they wanted outside, I think it was like $120,000. Right. And that was like the range they were looking at. So certainly don't consider that as like a never going to happen thing either. It really depends on what you're being asked to do. Um, and, and, And I think that's why having these foundational things in place can help you. So whether we're talking about a $120,000 large scale project, or we're talking about one piece that you're trying to price, you're not lost in the abyss of like, you have some foundational things to work with um, in order to get you going in a direction with it. I like what Zara says here. Basically you just start and then feel out your market. Totally. I mean, and the thing is that your market is going to be consist of different people. I have collectors that buy smaller pieces because that's what they could afford. And then I have collectors that just own big, large pieces from me. So like, it just, it's one of those things where I'm like, don't discriminate, you know, don't, don't do the pricing discrimination, have something for everyone out there because no matter if they could afford a piece or not, people love art. And the people that love art will spend what they can, not, you know, yes, because they like the art, but also because they want to support you and what you're doing. And I always think, like, give that person the opportunity to show their support in whatever way they can. Mm-hmm. Valerie says, I think I'll give myself a raise from my last job. I deserve it. Yes, I you think do. that is perfectly fair and reasonable. Connie said, I love that you both give us permission to be ourselves. You give us the info and the power to stand confident in our decisions. Absolutely. That's the name of the game, man. That's it. That's it. Nobody could come in and just be like, this is how it's done because that, that that's so limiting to be like, this is the only way that you're going to be able to succeed. It's like that it's such a narrow path and that's not reality. You know, you could succeed in a myriad of ways. So, yeah, that that's that's one of the reasons that I'm like, I, we will never tell you what to do because you got to figure out your own way, a way that you're happy with. And that's going to keep you motivated to keep going. Diane said, I use a formula for my finished ready to sell pieces, cost of goods plus 15 percent design fee times two for retail price. Artwork is different, usually based on what I would like to charge. I started off um, when I started using a formula with a real almost identical formula to yours. But then what happened was like, so let's say you've got your cost of goods plus 15% design fee times two, and that's your retail price. Suddenly a shop or a gallery comes along and And they they want to sell that work and they they want to do 50-50 with you. All of a sudden you're making cost on your materials. So that's where the minimum times three comes in because even splitting 50-50 with a gallery, you're still making 
cost and a half. If that makes sense, yeah. you're making 1.5. And that's that's the usual formula. The formula that it's supposed to be is times two is wholesale, and then times three is retail. Mm-hmm. And for certain items, you could do uh, times three is wholesale, and then times four is, is retail. An easy one is times two is wholesale, and then you just double that, right? Yeah. Times four is retail. Yeah. Um, that's a really like easy easy to do in your head even formula to use. Um, but but it's something that you want to think about because you always want to think about scaling up. Yeah. And the possibility of somebody, a shop, wanting your stuff wholesale, you're going to want to think about that and have that wholesale price in mind already where you're not sacrificing your you're not sacrificing your profit. Especially, like, uh, you know, if you're working with stuff that changes price or you're working with stuff that's inherently expensive, you got to keep an eye on that because you can, you can end up losing out real quick if you're not watching your material costs. Um, Tish said, I've been using triple cost, ba- oh, the triple keystone model for over a decade. The way I look at it is it is replacement supplies used, scrap, and future purchases. It's all covered. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's a real easy formula. I mean, I don't, formula. I, I like, so I talk about this in my book. Um, method one, the square inch method, you know, and that's for like your paintings and stuff like that. And if you want to do that with sculpture, depending on the sculpture, you could do that where you figure out a price per square inch. So you could do a dollar a square inch, 50 cents a square inch, whatever it is that you feel comfortable with. Right. And I usually use that for estimating, for doing estimates, because I'll ask them, what size do you want? And I already know how much work is going to go into that and how much material. So I'll estimate like maybe 90 cents a square inch or $1.20 a square inch, depending on how much work goes into it. And then the other method is calculating the overhead method. And that's where you bring in the overhead and all the, all the, all the cost that nobody really thinks about when it comes to pricing your art. Overhead can be such a struggle. I literally just got a grip on overhead like last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like actually started applying it. An easy way to figure overhead without actually like taking in your utility and tool use and stuff is to just do like 5% of the price added on as overhead. 10% of the price added on as overhead. So like if you have, you know, a hundred dollar piece, then your overhead is ten dollars tacked on, so now it's a hundred and ten. Yep. Um, or a hundred and five if you're at five percent. And if you don't want to figure out like, well, this much from electricity and this much for hammer strikes and this much for whatever, um, I think it's a little bit easier at least to start off with. Yep. To just add those percentages. And then the third method of pricing that we look at is keystone pricing, which we discussed mm-hmm. a little bit. And then method four, which is my method, which is figure out the square inch, figure out the keystone pricing if you want, figure out all the stuff. And then that way you have a baseline of what it would make sense, you know, to for materials and costs like that. And then decide what price you want to price it. You know, mm-hmm. either based on that, if you want to price it lower than what that price is, or you want to price it higher. Really, at the end of the day, it's your choice. As long as you are not not making some money with totally. your art so that you could create more art. It's just a baseline, like you said. Yeah. So my formula or his formula spits out a number, right? And sometimes I'm like, gross, I'm not charging that. That feels icky. And I 
bring it down a little because I'm willing to eat a little of the profit in order to feel good about what I'm offering and the price. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm actually not super concerned about getting rid of this right away because I'm really proud of it. So yeah. I don't mind charging a little more because this is exceptional. Or like, um, or like I create something, I'm like, that is bad. Like, I'm not going to charge only that much. Right. Like, I want to charge way more for that. You yeah. Know? So, and really that's at, at the end of the day, like you don't have to justify when it comes to art. We don't have to justify our prices. Our prices are what they are. Honestly, if you just look at the market, like think of like crap that's out there that is super overpriced. I, I was thinking, what was it that we were going to buy the other day? And it was like $10. And I was like, no, hell no, we're not buying that. And it's like a simple grocery item. Yeah. That, oh, a bottle of lime juice for $14. And yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. Is they, it like, I'm not <laughs> paying that. They could charge that price. I'm not paying that price because that seems overpriced to me. Now, if it was a bulk bottle of lime juice and it was $14, then maybe I'd weigh it out. So like, but that's my value structure. That's my unique way of looking at it. I guarantee you there's a bunch of people out there that just bought it. You know, that they're going to buy a $14 bottle of lime I juice. I mean, maybe so, but it's $3 at our local grocery. That's true. But that's one of those things. But again, your art is not a bottle of lime juice. It's not. The reason that people are buying it isn't because like, oh, you know what? I need some I need some art for my steak. Like, that's not how it works. You are selling something that somebody emotionally connects with and they're going to want to purchase it. And, you know... If they really like it and they can't afford it, they might ask you, would you take this much for it? And it's really important to not be offended by that and also consider that on a case-by-case basis. I know that I do. I've had people that have had, you know, I really love this. I can't afford it right now. Would you take this much for it? And because I fully know my pricing, how much I charge, what I can get away with, my wholesale price, if I had a wholesale price for art, which is having it in a gallery, then at that point, then I could work out a deal with someone if I wanted to. Most times, I'm so comfortable with my pricing that the way that somebody approaches me is ultimately what matters when it comes down to that entire thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, Rachel said, oh man, I miss Rio Grande. Those old catalogs were my crack. Zara said, I do everything in bulk, even groceries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good too. Us too. Valerie said, so thankful for Blick. Yeah, bulk is so important. I'm also grateful for my Epson inkjet art printer. Totally. Totally. Wherever yeah. you can save cost, especially on stuff like that. When we were looking at a large format printer, we shopped around and paper options and ink options were very important as well as, of course, the quality of the print that it puts out. Yeah. Um, but and, and looking, all those things. Looking at all those things and weighing those things out because you want to make sure that you're not – you want to make sure you're not giving your art away. But, you know, when it really comes down to it and you think of, like, material costs, you know, certain things are going to have higher material costs than other things, right? And if you want to continue creating stuff like that, you're going to want to have your material costs covered. But you're also going to want to have your your pay, your your time and energy, you know, like it's not just you're getting paid for the work that you did on the piece. You're getting paid for sitting there and and 
ordering your materials and, you know, making sure that the studio is clean and making sure that, you know, things are organized and ordering paint. And even if you're getting ready to do all that stuff is part of that overhead of the time that you spend working on any kind of art. It You got to account for that. And as far as like giving yourself a raise, the more years that you, I always love that thing when somebody's like how much is that that piece and i'm like uh you know 450 dollars. how long did it take you to create it i'm like uh 35 years that's how long it took for me to be able to do that specific work it took a lifetime of experience in working in art in living life in having the perspective that i have and doing what i do you cannot quantify the actual price of the work and that's why whatever price you decide to price it at, that's as long as you're comfortable with it and you are comfortable and feel like it's fair to the person. In my mind, I'm like, you could price it at whatever price you want, really, because it took a lifetime for you to get to that place where you created that and put it out there. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get in trouble. No, you're not going to get in trouble. <laughs> The, the art pricing police aren't going to come by and be like, oh. I feel like some of us feel that way. Like if we're at double or triple keystone on our materials, it's like like the the fairness police are going to come after us. But the truth is that that is what's fair. It's yeah. what's fair to you and the customer. Um, Tish said, saying that there's only one way to price art is like saying that there's only one way to bake a chocolate cake. <laughs> there are too many variables in art. Yes. And yes, cake. they are. And cake, yes. Mm-hmm. Zara's like, wow, extra special organic squeezed by mugs, the lime juice. <laughs> maybe I would pay $14 for that. I mean, maybe, yeah. Um, actually, as a as a side note and as a jab to free shipping um, and, and the ones who enforce that, I think what happened with the $14 lime juice was that it was a third-party seller who rolled in their shipping <laughs> to the price. And so it was sitting next to uh, a... Three dollar bottle of lemon juice on the web page, and there it was at fourteen something. <laughs> and we were like, "No thanks, we'll just get it from the grocery store when uh-huh. we go." Um, so yeah, <laughs> sorry, I just had to make that little aside. That's that's yeah. Uh huh. Rolled that's in good. shipping. Yeah. No one will in, ever know. No one will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, so yeah. So that's what it comes down. Think of all the stuff, and I want to address um, one hand arts. A uh, question here about the sculpture being at $1,400. Because this ultimately is what we're talking about here. Being comfortable with your pricing, right? 1400 for a sculpture? I don't know. I don't know. Like, is it made out of gold? That might... that. 1400 might be, is there gold elements in it? Is it gold leafing? What kind of materials are you using? You are can't you, make a sculpture for that price nowadays. Are, no, not, yeah, but is there gold in it? <laughs> is there, you know, are you using some kind of concrete? Is it uh, molded? Was it hand-shaped? Um, what kind of, you know, how big is it? Like, there's so many elements and factors into that. Yeah. And really, at the end of the day, I could throw out a price but to me i'm like I, that's still my opinion i've sold sculptures you know i sold the beaded man mm-hmm. for i think it was twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. 
And, you know, actually, no, the guy, the guy asked me if I would take a thousand for it. And I, I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Cause I didn't want to carry it home. I feel you. I remember that. Yeah. And then we ended up having to go out to their drive all the way out to their house. Cause I forgot to sign the sculpture. Indeed. They were cool people though. Yeah. And I think this is again, the reason that it is so important to know what you have invested in it as far as materials are concerned and how much time was spent and what your hourly rate is, because that is going to help you be confident in what you ultimately land on for the price. And that's ultimately what matters. What matters is that when you struggle with pricing your art, I want you to see it as a challenge to become more. It's through this struggle that you become more comfortable and more confident in pricing your art. It really is. It's it's facing these things of like, how much are Oh, you know, and like having that thing in your brain where you're like, you know, nobody around here buys art for this much or like blah, blah, blah. And like really challenging yourself and putting yourself in those situations where you're willing to challenge what your perceptions are of what is possible. I would do that a lot. Like I would go to a show at, that where people would tell me that, you know, well, you know, just bring out little pieces and they like this kind of stuff and they like that kind of stuff. And I would bring out what I would bring out. And then it was funny in some of those situations, a lot of artists would get really mad because I sold a $1,500 mermaid. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that they have at this show are like little 20 and $30 pieces because they thought it wouldn't sell. So challenge yourself, challenge yourself when it comes to pricing your art and putting it out there and understand that this whole thing is almost like a social experiment. You know, that's really what it is. It's a social experiment and your art is the subject of the, it is the experiment and seeing how people respond, seeing, but most importantly, seeing how you respond to what other people say to the feeling when somebody asks you, how much is this piece and how you respond and what your feelings are in that moment I think ultimately are what really, really matter in that. So that's that's my final two cents on pricing art. You got anything you want to add? Tish was like, oh man, I'm going to miss buying in bulk hashtag RV life. You know, there's probably still some ways that you can accomplish that as you go, like as you figure stuff out, as you make spaces for things and, and even maybe establish yourself little points of contact around the country where you can have stuff shipped to. Yeah. Um, and even who knows friends who are willing to store things for you to yeah. come pick up later on. Um, those were all things that we considered when we were considering going back to being, um, transient was like, how can we still buy in bulk yeah. and make it work? On Hanart says, thanks. I'm ready for the challenge. I just have to get over all my work being my babies, <laughs> my babies. Yeah. My babies. And with a piece of my soul in them. Yeah. And it, you know, to be honest with you, the more work you create, the more that it starts to get to a point where, like, you've just got a house full of your babies and you're like, some of these babies got some, to go. Some of them got to go. It doesn't mean you love them any less. Yeah, it's you still just... love them. It's just time for them to be free and, and be adopted by someone else that loves them. You know? Which is a great feeling. It is a great feeling. Yeah, so whether you've got formulas up the wazoo or you are pricing on intuition or some combination therein, stand confident in that decision. Yeah. Yeah. And know that like it's going to change all the time. 
that's my final thought. When I first went into pricing, I thought I had to get it right, make the decision because I'm sticking with this forevermore. No. Without even considering the fact that material costs change and you evolve as an artist and all these other variables. So know that you just have to get it comfortable for you for right now. And if you change it tomorrow, great. Yep. (laughs) And that's about it, you guys. This was absolutely amazing. I want to thank the Rogues for being here. Yeah. Um, Your comments really made this podcast uh, come together perfectly. The questions you guys were asking, your insight into this subject of pricing art, you know, because this is what we're dealing with. We're Mm -hmm. all dealing with it, and we're at different levels when it comes to pricing stuff. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys for being here. And for everybody listening to this, Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys are absolutely amazing. Hey, if you like this and you'd like to subscribe to more of our podcasts, go ahead and click wherever you need to click around here to subscribe. And other than that, uh, I think it's time to say goodbye. Want to say goodbye, Clee? Good day. Adios.